supernatural. The supernatural is a thing that kind of frightens a lot of folk because it's exactly what the word indicates. It's beyond the natural. I think that's why so many folk have problems with the Bible itself. It's supernatural. We have taken two words and made one word. The super is God's part. The natural is our part. Now, Acts 2, 17 through 21 is a repeat of what Joel the prophet said in the second chapter of his prophetic book in the Old Testament. In this passage, Peter introduces us to the phenomena or the phenomenal or the phenomenon, the extraordinary, which we are to expect and anticipate in our own lives. What should I believe about the supernatural? The dictionary says that supernatural is that which is above or beyond the natural. I was looking at the little book, Letters to God, that somebody gave me some time ago, and Sherman wrote a little letter to God that went like this. Dear God, when you started the earth and put people there and all the animals and grass and the stars, did you get very tired? I have a lot of other questions, too. Signed at Sherman. Well, we have an extraordinary God who never gets tired. You see, he's beyond the natural. And we have a hard time thinking of how he works because we do get tired. We get hungry. We get thirsty. We grow weary. But not God. He's everlasting. So we have to retrain ourselves when it comes to this theme of the supernatural. We have to think of someone beyond ourselves and some things beyond our own ability and almost our own comprehension. Several points in my message today, and I trust you will follow me carefully as we move along. We're going to begin with supernaturalism in the Old Testament. Then we're going to come up to supernaturalism in the life of Christ, supernaturalism at Pentecost, supernaturalism in the early church, and then supernaturalism in the last age. That should bring us up to the present moment. Supernaturalism in the Old Testament. In John 4, 24, Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, and he said to her, God is spirit. This is a bold statement about the nature of God. We are so geared to think of the material and finite that it is difficult to comprehend a God that is everywhere present. When God said to Moses, you go to Pharaoh and tell him this, I am hath sent me to you. Moses had to wonder about that statement, I am. I am that I am. I was thinking about that the other day, and I got inspired. What could the Lord have meant? And the word came to me this way. What is your need? I am. 
Tell me another need. I am. Go ahead, give me another need. I am. Come on now, give me a big one. I am. That's what God was saying. I am bigger than anything you could ever bring before me. I am. The I am. Hallelujah. In the 139th Psalm, this is shown so very graphically in the first 12 verses. In the first six verses of the 139th Psalm, you see the omniscience of God as the psalmist unfolds this truth. O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down, and on and on he goes. Then when you come to the seventh verse, you're introduced to the omnipresence of God. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. Omnipresent. The woman in John 4, in her inquiry, asked to the proper place to worship God, in Jerusalem or Mount Gerizim. And Jesus said, God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, that he is to be found everywhere and anywhere. I am that I am. Now, when you pick up your Bible, you only get to the second verse in the whole Bible till you meet the spirit in creation. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. In Genesis 6, 3, you see the Spirit of God before the flood. For the Bible says, and the Spirit of God moved in the hearts of men. For he said in verse 3, my spirit will not always strive with man. There is a day when you cross the line if you don't pay attention to the Holy Spirit's work in your life. Then you begin to see the unfolding of the Holy Spirit's work in leaders. Joseph called upon to lead Egypt, and God imparted to Joseph wisdom to administer the affairs of the kingdom. The Egyptians and the Israelites would have perished if it had not been for the God-inspired wisdom of Joseph. We've mentioned Moses. The spirit that was upon Moses was transferred to the 70 elders in the 11th chapter of Numbers. The same spirit that was upon Moses went into those 70 elders who assisted him in carrying on the work of God. Joshua was 80 years old when Moses died. By the laying on of Moses' hands in Numbers 27, the Holy Spirit was imparted to Joshua, and he led the children of Israel into the Promised Land. But there are other examples of lesser-known persons like Bezalel, and I love to read about Bezalel in Exodus 31, filled with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to devise cunning works in gold and in silver and in brass and in cutting of stones and in carving of timber to work all manner of workmanship. What does this say to us? It says if you're a businessman and your back is against the wall, 
You're not through. There is a God who gives understanding to men through His Spirit, supernaturally. I would not want to be in business if I were not a Christian today. I would not want to be out there in that world if I were not a Christian today, depending on the wisdom of God when so many arrows are being shot at us from every angle. But I learned from Bezalel that when I don't know what to do, he knows. That when I don't know what to say, he knows. That the I am can give me the concept, can give me the idea, can give me the invention, if you will, can give me the way through. If I will but make myself available to him. Then there's Gideon, Jephthah, Samson, Saul, and David, the prophets, clear through to Malachi. David summed it all up in Psalm 51, 11, when he said, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. The supernatural was in the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi. The Holy Spirit was on leaders. The Holy Spirit moved at creation. The Holy Spirit said he would not always strive with men. You can't read the Old Testament without being introduced to supernaturalism. It's on every page. The mighty acts of God. Well, let's look at supernaturalism in the life of Christ. What an interesting study. His birth was supernatural. A young lady who had not had sexual intercourse was pregnant with a baby. Planted by the Holy Spirit. Supernaturally. Angels came and visited her. Shepherds were sitting on the hillside and angels came in glory and talked to them about what was happening in the city. Everything surrounding his birth was supernatural. A star in the heavens no one had ever seen and wise men following that star until they found the babe. His preservation was supernatural. You remember that Herod was going to kill all the male children two years old and under because he wanted to get rid of this supposed king. But the Holy Spirit said, now Joseph, take Mary and the baby and go to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you to come back. So for two years, he was in Egypt, supernaturally preserved by God. Then, eventually, he began his ministry and his works. And Luke chapter 6, verse 19 says, For there went virtue out of him and healed them all. He went everywhere doing good. He fed 4,000. Then he fed 5,000 more, plus women and children, with one little sickly lunch. Miraculously, supernaturally fed thousands of people with a few loaves of bread and fish. He raised the dead, cast out demons. Everything was subject to his power. Then they crucified him, and even his death was supernatural because when he said, it is finished, the graves came open in the cemetery, and people who were dead got up, went into the city, and started communicating with loved ones and friends. The earth shook, the heavens thundered. What about his resurrection? There was a massive stone put in front of the door, but Rome couldn't hold him in. The guards fell as dead men. The stone was rolled away, and inside of that tomb, into a dead corpse, there came resurrection life and power 
and his body slipped out of those grave clothes, leaving them behind just as he had been there in those grave clothes. And he walked out of there and an angel said, He is not here. He is risen as he said. And he's been moving across this earth ever since in supernatural delivering power wherever men will take time to look up and trust him. Resurrection victory. What about his ascension? How many people have you been talking to when suddenly a cloud took them out of your sight and he went up into heaven? I don't suspect too many, but it happened with Jesus on the Mount of Olives as he talks. The cloud descends. He's gone after sharing words of power with his followers. You see, supernaturalism was throughout the life of Christ from beginning until he disappeared back into heaven. What about supernaturalism at Pentecost? In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you will be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, they didn't know exactly what to expect, except Jesus said you would receive power. So they went to the upper room and tarried for ten days. When suddenly, something supernatural began to happen. Wind in the house where they were sitting. It literally filled all the house where they were gathered. Then tongues like as a fire sat upon each of them, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit anointed them or gave them the utterance. That's why in today's world so few seem to be able to believe that this is a gift for today for prayer and communication with God because God did it, you see, and we always have a problem when we can't control things and we can't orchestrate things, but it was supernatural. They didn't know what was going to happen, but they were obedient to let it happen. And God designed it the way Acts 2 puts it. Then what happened? Well, Jesus said you will receive power. That is a Greek word meaning dunamis. It's where we get our word dynamite or our word dynamo or our word dynamics. You will receive dynamite. You'll receive a portion of TNT when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's what it means. Tremendous power of an explosive or eruptive nature. How can you go to church in the New Testament era, and just say, my, wasn't that a nice service? When we are to have tremendous power of an explosive or eruptive nature, dunamis, you know that that word appears 69 times in the New Testament alone? Power. Now, what kind of an example do we have? Well, immediately after the supernatural event, Peter, who was a coward a few days before, stands and preaches under a great anointing of the supernatural, and 3,000 souls march to the altar in one meeting. Then you turn to chapter 3 of Acts, and you see Peter and John going into the temple at the time of prayer, and there's a lame man at the gate, beautiful, just outside the temple, and Peter stops and says, silver and gold have we none, but we have some dunamis, and we'll give you some dunamis. And he reaches out his hand and lights the fuse, pulls him on his feet, 
His ankles receive strength. He walks, he leaps, he runs into the temple, magnifying God with dunamis all over him. Supernatural manifestation of God. Well, that's only in Acts 2, Acts 3. What about supernaturalism in the early church? Well, what about it? We have in Acts 9 a persecutor raising havoc with the church, killing Christians, throwing them into prison. When on the road to Damascus, he meets the author of Dunamis, and he falls from his beast, and he says, Lord, what will you have me to do? And Saul becomes Paul, transformed by the supernatural power of God. That's in the early church. Then he starts using the dunamis. A Philippian jailer in Acts 16 is about to kill himself with a knife because supernaturally the doors of the prison opened at the sound of an earthquake. And Paul says, don't do yourself harm. We're all here. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And he did and he was converted in all of his house with him. Dunamis. And then a eunuch reading the Old Testament in his chariot from Ethiopia. Philip the evangelist goes to him, explains Isaiah 53 to him. The eunuch receives Christ supernaturally and says, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip baptizes him in water as a testimony of his faith. And he goes back to Africa carrying the message of Dunamis, the power of God to transform. In Acts 9, the healing of Aeneas and the raising of Dorcas. I love these two accounts because it says Aeneas who had been bedridden eight years. And then it adds and was paralyzed. Just to kind of underscore the hopelessness of it. And was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. And then these simple words. Then he arose immediately. Hallelujah. Immediately. Dunamis. Dorcas is dead. Everybody's weeping. Peter says, get out of the room. I can't have any unbelief in here. He turns not facing the corpse. That would be discouraging. Praise the other direction toward the choir. A lot of faith there, right? And then he turns toward the body and says, Dorcas, arise! And Dorcas arose. And he presented her alive to those who were a few moments before weeping. Dunamis in the early church. Power on every page. In Acts 28, on the island of Malta, a venomous snake fastened itself to Paul's hand. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. Dunamis power. The summary statement of the early church is probably 1 Corinthians 2, verses 4 and 5, when Paul said, My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and dunamis, or power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the dunamis of God, in the power of God. Now, where are churches today? 
going through liturgies, going through programs. And that's okay if there's dunamis there. But so often, friends, it's just going through the motions of men. And we walk away feeling empty, wondering how we're going to make it through another week. Well, I'm here to say to you that my speech and my preaching is not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and dunamis, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the dunamis of God. If God can't save you, I'm going to leave here. If God can't heal you, I'm going to get out of here. If God can't change your life, then I don't belong here. But I believe he will, and I know he can. If you'll just give him an opportunity, there is dunamis for you in this hour. You'll let God be God. Now, there's one more point. Supernaturalism promised for the close of this age. Did you notice that? In verse 21, it says, Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the greatest miracle of all. That's the greatest demonstration of God's power ever, that people could be walking this way one day and turn around and walk the other way, a new creature in Christ Jesus. And that's happening all the time. Oh, I thank God for many of you. You were alcoholics. Now you're delivered alcoholics. Some of you were perverts. Now you're converted perverts. <laughs> I love that. Making a mark for yourself in this world. Some of you were up and outers, not down and outers, up and outers. Your head was in the clouds. You had it all put together. But Jesus came to you. And you knew that you couldn't save yourself. So you let him do it. You're a miracle, a walking miracle. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Believe that for your family, for your neighbors, your loved ones, your friends. It's God's plan for the last age, supernatural conversions. Pray for the barkeepers. Pray for the ungodly politicians. Pray for the people next door. Pray for the educators. Pray for miracles of God. He's still working dunamis in the world today. It has not stopped. It has not ended. John Wesley, on May the 24th, 1738, at London's Aldersgate Street meeting, said, My heart was strangely warmed. <laughs> what was that? We call it conversion. And then it says in verse 19 of Acts 2, He would show wonders in heaven and signs in the earth beneath. Wonders and signs. When I was asking God for a word for today, this is what I received from him. I wrote it down. It came to me like a flash of lightning. I didn't want to lose it, so I jotted it down. God spoke to my heart, and he said, Just let go and let me act like God. Just let me be God. That's what he spoke to my heart. Just let me act like God. That's all I'm asking. Just let me be God. That doesn't sound too hard, does it? Just let me be God. Takes all the pressure off. Just let him do it. Boy, somebody said, if he is dead, speaking of Jesus, he cannot heal. But if he's alive, he can do anything he did before he was dead. <laughs> Boy, that's good. If he's dead, he cannot heal. But if he's alive, he can do anything he did before he died. Oh, that's 
Grab hold of that. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Wonders and signs. 2 Corinthians 12, 12 says, The signs of an apostle were accomplished among you in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. And then in verse 17, his prophetic utterance was, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Any culture, any background, or no background at all. Sometime back, my wife and I met the man whose picture appears on this little booklet called One Man's Miracle. Harry DeCamp, who lives in West Long Branch, New Jersey. Harry DeCamp was one of these with no background at all. He was what I call an American heathen. He didn't know anything about God. About six foot three, strong, golf, work, total control until one day he got sick and the diagnosis was cancer of the bladder. They operated thinking they could remove it only to sew him up to tell him that it is non-operable and sent him home to die. What does a man do who doesn't know God? He sits and watches television. So he watched until the little white dot was all that was left, night after night after night, almost in a trance. You're going to die, Harry. One day somebody handed him the little guidepost magazine, and in that magazine was the story of a woman who had received healing of heart disease and cancer at the same time, and of a man who had been healed of cancer. And in his simplistic, heathen way, he said as he sat there, God, if you're real, if you do these kinds of things, then you can do it for me if you did it for them. And so he began to picture God and talk to God. And he began to picture an army of white corpuscles moving from his shoulders down into his body and into that bladder area and pushing those dead cells and cancerous cells out of the way. Day after day, he would see this army of healthy, wholesome corpuscles moving against the cancer in his body until one day he sat up and he called Bess and he said, Bess, get me something to eat. She was angry because she had done that before, but he couldn't keep it down. So she said sarcastically, I suppose you want a submarine sandwich. He said, that's it. That's what I want. So all the way to the delicatessen and back, she argued with herself for going after a submarine sandwich. But she gave it to Harry, and he ate the whole thing. And it stayed down, and he went to bed and slept like a baby. And he got up the next morning and ate breakfast, and he ate lunch, and he ate dinner, and he went back to the doctor, and the doctor scratched his head and had to write over the file, miracle, there was no cancer in Harry DeCamp's body at all. <laughs> Upon all flesh, 
even those who don't know who God is. See how merciful and kind he is. Those of you watching, if you'd like a copy of this testimony, I'd be happy to send it to you. One man's miracle. Let us know. It's all right here. You can call him up yourself. If you want to check it out, I've talked to him face to face, and he was well. He was whole, dynamically alive. You see, this thing doesn't stop when the apostles died. Who ever got that idea? If it did, then I've been living for all of these years joyously and happily in a lie. <laughs> he didn't really touch me. He didn't really save me, if that be the case. He didn't really heal my left arm when I ran it through the washing machine ringer when I was two years old and it turned black. It was in there for about a half an hour just being ground away by those rollers. I was experimenting with it and I found out what it could do, and it just ran over and over my elbow while my mother was screaming, running around, trying to figure out what to do. <laughs> Finally, she ran next door to my grandpa's, and he came and had sense enough to release the lever, but they said, we're going to have to take it off. It was black. But my mother said, no, we're going to pray. Well... This is not a fake arm. It's a, it's a real thing. It's been here all of my life. I've got a scar here to prove I stuck it through the ringer, but it works. And it's the sign of a miracle. Now, maybe that really didn't happen, huh, you suppose? How silly. Maybe Vanjie's testimony just was conjured up. Huh? Super always loves to come to the natural. At any age, Old Testament, life of Christ, Pentecost, the early church, or today the Bible says in the last days I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Supernaturalism in the age just before the return of Christ. We have not begun to see even a smidgen of what he wants to do or what he can do, or what I believe he will do as we open the heart and let God be God. Just as he said to me, just let me be who I am. Let me be God. Now the devil is working hard against humanity because he knows there's value in us. A burglar doesn't come to an empty house, a forlorn house. A burglar comes for something to steal, and that's why the devil is attacking you and why he's attacking me, because there's something valuable there. What are we going to do? We're going to stop and listen to God's Holy Spirit today. We are often our own worst enemy because we won't stop and let God be God and say what he wants to say and do what he wants to do. I don't know if you ever realized it or not, but some years ago, one of our Navy jet fighters shot himself down flying at supersonic speeds. He let go the cannon shells from that gun in the wing. It had only fired a few seconds before, and he was traveling so fast that he ran into his own shells and shot himself down. Oh, man. You don't have to be a preacher to make an application from that to life. We're going too fast. We don't have time to let God be God. 
We're working it all out ourselves, aren't we? And yet we can't even figure out where to put the garbage. It has to float up and down a river for days and weeks while we are so smart trying to figure out what to do with the garbage. Uh, unable to hear God's voice. Maybe you'd better slow down before you shoot yourself down. Maybe you'd better stop and let God be God. I believe it's the day of the supernatural. It always has been. It will always be because God will always be. But we as humans have to stop, look, and listen. And when we do, there is a release of dunamis. Power. Old things become new. Deadly things pass away. And the healing presence of Christ flows in. I don't know about you, but I can't live without it. Will you pray with me? Will you open your heart with me? Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, maker of this universe, eternal one, oh, hallelujah. In this room, I'm asking for miracles. I'm asking for demonstrations of your power. I'm asking for dunamis in the lives of people. God, we're going to stop. We're going to look. We're going to listen. We're going to let you be who you are, the almighty, ever-existent God. Touch us. Heal us. Save us. Redeem us. Don't let us shoot ourselves down with our fast pace. Let us stop and be still and know that you are God, that there is no other God. Hallelujah. I want everybody who needs a miracle today to stand up and move to the aisle and stand right at the edge of your pew. If you are in church needing a miracle, I'm asking you to stand up and just slip over to the end of your seat. Stand right there in the aisle, will you? All over this building. You need a miracle of God. Just get up. Stand right there in single file up and down the aisles. In every section, you need a miracle from God. This is what we should believe about the supernatural. It has been from Genesis through Revelation, and it will be through the ages of eternity. Everything operates by Him who created it all. And there is nothing too hard for him at all. If you need a miracle of salvation, step to the end of that pew. If you need a miracle of healing, step to the end of that pew. If you need a miracle in your business, step to the end of that pew. If you need a miracle out there at home, just reach over and touch your television set. And as we pray, let that be a point of contact for your miracle right there where you are as the holy anointing of God is upon this service. Receive what you have need of from him. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the Bible doesn't say for preachers, just preachers to lay hands on people. It says they that believe are to go out and lay hands on people. If you're a believer, through God there are miracles in your hands. 
And I want those of you who believe to stand and move now to the aisle and put your hand on these who were standing earlier. I want you to place your hand right on them and we're going to ask God for a demonstration of his power. We're going to ask God for his miracles in this room right now and wherever this program is viewed. Let's start praying now. Everybody pray. Everybody seek God. Lay hands on them. Let miracles happen up there in the balcony sections all over this main floor. Let the miracle of God now happen. Let's all reach out to God. Let's all stand now as we now have identified those with their need. You stretch your hand out toward them as well where you stand, will you? Now, Lord Jesus, all over this room, I'm asking you for miracles. And all over America where this program is viewed, I ask for a miracle. Receive your miracle, sir. Rise up and walk in the name of Jesus. Receive your miracle of salvation, young person. Be delivered in the name of Jesus Christ. He loves you. And he said all that would call upon him, he would save them. Thank you, God, now for miracles all over. As people express their faith, as they stop, as they look, as they listen, the supernatural, the super coming down to the natural, an extraordinary thing. Oh God, we need it. We can't depend on ourselves. We must depend upon you. And we do it in this moment. Here.